Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus episode of uh, Ultra 64 Wii Universe. I don't know what you want to Yeah, you had to right think now. about that for a minute. I, I, I heard wanna... your gears turning. Like, I, what, but... what podcast are we doing? The, the hamster was getting tired in yeah. my head. Uh, so just, you know, whatever. It's us. We're doing a bonus episode, and uh, this is going to be a really fun one today. My name is Steve Guntley. Hi, I'm bizarre avatar virtual world Woody Siskowski. That Okay. That didn't I, make any sense either. I thought you looked a little different. You've got like robotic earbuds. Yeah. Uh, oh, those are headphones. No, okay, they're, they're horns. Mind. They're like half sawed off horns. Oh, I see. I yeah. see. Well, it is time once again for one of uh, our favorite things here on the show, which is where one of our top tier patrons... <laughs> Gives us money. <laughs> that's our favorite. <laughs> that's our favorite thing. But also, they get to come on the show and talk about any game yeah, they that's, want. Yeah, that's fun, too. Which is really fun. And uh, our, this guest today it never fails to bring the really interesting game, like the last games in the universe I would ever think to cover... And he always brings them, and I always have a really good time with them. Uh, today we're well, playing Dwarf Fortress 2, <laughs> Return of Dwarves. You son of a bitch. Getting fortressier. <laughs> too fast, too fortress. <laughs> <laughs> they have to save the fortress from the evil land developer by opening a dwarf car wash. <laughs> and they have to de- host bro- uh, dwarf breakdancing competitions yeah. to, to defeat them. Exactly. Uh, Scott Berger is joining us again. Hello, Scott. Welcome back. Hi, Scott. Bye. <laughs> Why? Whoa. How? Wait, me, sorry, thanks. Scott, oh, we Scott need to, we there's need to, something wrong with your voice yeah, module. We need, to, we need to update his uh, his vocabulary here. Let me do a quick download. Okay. Computer noises. Okay, you should be good. Yes, thank you oh. for that. Great, <laughs> nice. Well I'm a it was hacker. just that simple. Yeah, that's all it takes. You just gotta uh, bang the computer a little bit. So you probably haven't figured it out because we've just been speaking nonsense. As but we the, do. The game we're talking about is called Cross... Code. Cross code. Yeah, again, a, a game that was not on my radar at all until uh, uh, Scott introduced <laughs> us to this idea. So I want to ask you, Scott, why did you want to play cross code? Uh, so there's this there's this term that people throw around a lot called an indie gem. And mm-hmm. a lot of times those people are wrong. Where <laughs> Their concept of an indie gem is, hey, look at this, you know, really um, awful game that I found. I'm going to show it off to my friends. And they're, you know, you're just kind of like smiling through your teeth like, oh, yeah, this is this is great. This this game, I think, is unequivocally. That's a word, right? Unequivocally. Yeah, that's totally uh, a word people say. Close enough. Yep. It is it is a game that flies under a lot of people's radar. And I gave it a shot some time ago thinking, like, oh, this this has like an interesting premise. Uh, the, the art kind of looks interesting Mm -hmm. and it just, it sunk its teeth in me and Mm -hmm. I don't even remember when I bought it, but it hasn't let go so far. Wow. I I do think you're right. Like there is definitely like you read about indie, indie games sometimes and there are some real bummer cruddy ones that are referred to as gems. But on the other side, people are like, check out this indie gem, Hades. And you're like, is this a gem that like. Or is this indie even anymore? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is like one of the biggest games of the year, or like Dead Cells. You're like, yeah, I've been reading about Dead Cells for it's been in like high beta for a long time. But like this game is actually decently obscure. Like it's in yeah. a lot on a lot of consoles and a lot of systems, but I hadn't heard of it. Now when, yeah, when I think of it was, uh, when I think of this... an indie gem, it's it's uh hidden inside a temple. It belongs <laughs> in a museum. <laughs> And usually involves navigating some uh, some booby traps you to obtain it. You have to swap it. it with a gem of equal or lesser value. Usually, usually, right. but that wasn't the case this time. I just had to swap it for money on the on the Switch store. So that was that was great. When I when you told me that this is the game that Scott had picked, I assumed that Scott was trolling us, and this game was some sort of uh, <laughs> like 
coding hacking simulator, because that's kind of what it sounds like. And I believe I made the statement about Scott that uh, he doesn't so much enjoy games as he enjoys spreadsheets. <laughs> so that's what I thought was coming. And then I actually looked up some screenshots of this game because I was only basing on the title. I'm like, wow, this game actually looks awesome. It really it has that thing that I love, which is that it looks like a Super Nintendo game. It sure does. And it's a hybrid of a whole bunch of genres. This perhaps... This game might have the most genres running at the same time of any game that I've played, this, maybe and ever. They're, they're kind of running concurrently and like synch- synchronously, like really like working pretty well together, like blending these different elements. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think this is uh, a very unsung, kind of under the radar kind of game, and I'm I'm excited to be digging into it. So, Scott, did you you adopted this a little later, or were you part of the Indiegogo campaign, or were? Uh, oh, uh, I would say maybe a medium adopter. Uh, not okay. one of not someone who was like super under the radar. Like, oh man, I got to get this ahead of everyone else and really kind of like shake my indie cred. Uh, but I had heard about it, um, I think it was on a giant bomb cast some time ago where someone was like, I'm just going to throw out this game, CrossCode. It's kind of cool. Um, you should check it out. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's good enough for me. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, so uh, downloaded it on uh, on Steam. I've been playing it on my uh, uh, gaming computer that's way too overpowered for it with an <laughs> Xbox 3, or uh, what is this, an Xbox One controller? Uh, so I have okay. this kind of Frankenstein setup, but it's it's amazing where the the presentation uh the art style like a lot of little game design nuances things that you wouldn't really kind of expect to be like oh that's kind of helpful why don't other people do that it was just (laughs) like sprinkled about all over the place where it makes this very like impressive well-designed complete uh, experience one might say the ultimate experience for those who have beaten the game uh, and uh, yeah it, it is uh, I was super excited when they released uh, some DLC for it recently and I've been uh, sinking some time into that too I think well, I want to try and run down yeah. some of the genres okay. that we're working with here and tell me if I miss any we have RPG of course yeah, first and one. foremost it's an RPG uh, we've got a twin stick shooter yes we've got kind of like a billiards <laughs> Um, let's say billiards. We'll say bu- bust a move. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, I was uh, gonna say bust a move simulator. Yeah. We got some. We got some platforming. Yeah, got some like isometric uh, platforming, puzzle platforming, puzzle platforming. We got some uh, action brawlers. Yep. like some some uh, melee melee combat. We've got uh, and then there's just whatever whatever the gameplay of wandering through a Zelda dungeon is. Yes, Bo- box pushing, box pushing. Yeah, it's got box. My favorite, our favorite genre, our Charlie Blast's favorite genre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. He had a yeah. he had a Charlie Blast with it. Uh, yeah, yeah so there's that, just that like five or six things going at the same time. Retro throwback could be another one if you want to call that its own genre. Well, that's more of an aesthetic, more I of suppose. An aesthetic, but yeah. I think I, the thing I, that really caught me by surprise, and I think you and I, Steve, were both struggling with this when we started this game, is it's really slow going at first. Like this game, when you see that retro aesthetic and you know that this is an indie game, you kind of think smaller. You're like, yeah. okay, this is going to be a very streamlined just kind of throwback to the Super Nintendo days um, where it might be like a 15, 20-hour RPG. But no, like what this is, this is basically like a fully featured, like almost, like this gameplay style reminds me of something like Xenoblade where you're like really encourages you to explore the world. It's like the same gameplay style as like an MMO except that there's not online players dropping in. But like you're really encouraged to do side quests and slowly level up and like, I've been playing this game for like 
I think seven or eight hours, and I'm not through the first dungeon. Yeah. Like, no, it's sprawling. It's like a surprisingly huge game. It's just kind of, uh, I mean, and, and we'll get into a little bit of uh, uh, some things I have to say about the pacing and things like that. But, uh, but like, it did help me, like, because I did have those same issues with the pacing at the beginning, but that's because I assumed that it was a smaller game. And once it finally yeah. clicked that, like, oh, part of this game is going out and doing quests and, like, doing a bunch of, like, little fetch tasks or, like, hunting monsters. Um, I was able to settle into the pace a little more and, and start enjoying it a lot more. Absolutely. When I uh, when I started the DLC in, in preparation for the podcast, uh, after you know taking 40 pages worth of notes here, uh, <laughs> I decided to, to start up a, a fresh file run just to be like, you know, w- what was that kind of first experience like? And I think you kind of nailed it where it's, it's very kind of slow going. It's introducing you to these kind of uh, new mechanics in this kind of style that you wouldn't really normally associate with mm-hmm. this kind of RPG slash, uh, slash Zelda brawler, uh, bust a move simulator <laughs> slash yeah. Mensa test, uh, yes. depending on some of the puzzles. Yeah. And the, the first little tutorial zone I would, I would say is, is it kind of sets up the theme pretty well. And it's, it's very much like the game in a nutshell, but also sort of paced very differently than the rest of it. I think it's it's almost maybe too gentle of an introduction. Hmm. But it hmm. does kind of lay out all the elements of like, here's how you move, and here's how you do these things. And which is always kind of frustrating. Like, my, my issue with... I hate it when games have tutorials hmm. that sort of teach you, like, okay, now move left, now move right, now jump from here to here. Like, just set... Just drop you in the game. Well, this game is paced so weird... Because, like, at this, the very first thing you do in this game is, like, you are running through, like, you probably have even forgot about this part because it's such a small part. Yeah. But you, like, are fighting these enemies and bosses right at the start, and then it's like a... Um, a simulation. Yeah, it's yeah. like a simulate, or it's like a scheduled, like, in those final... That was the worst thing in Final Fantasy games, when there's fights that you're supposed to lose. Oh, yeah, and the game doesn't the game like, doesn't yeah. tell you that. Yeah. And so you're, like, using all of your health items, and then the guy hits you with a 9,000 Medio, and you're yeah. like, well, how was I supposed to know I was supposed to die? And, like, anyway, the first aspect level of this game is that kind of thing. Yeah. And that shows you, essentially, all your moves. And then the game, like, brings you to the tutorial and shows you again. You're like, wait, I just, I figured this stuff out before. It, I don't know. Yeah. It's just very, the first, like, maybe even hour or at least 40 minutes of this game are very, like, jibber-jabbery. Like, people were just talking to me a lot, and I got sick of it. Let me let me take a step <laughs> yeah. back a little bit and talk a little bit more about what this game is. Uh, so, CrossCode was released September 20th, 2018, developed by Radical Fish Games and published by Deck 13, and it has been released on Windows, Mac, Linux, Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X and S. <laughs> I really, really hate the new Xbox <laughs> titles. I just can't keep saying that enough. Uh, Radical Fish, uh, they're a very tiny little German team founded in the early 2010s. The company currently is made up of about 10 people, and CrossCode is their one and only game so far. Uh, they partnered with another German studio, that's Deck 13, to publish this game. Uh, and they did mostly adventure games, and we kind of talked about that in our Book of Unwritten Tales episode, how, like, weirdly, adventure games are big in Germany, and so, like, a lot of developers were making their, uh, making their bones off of that. Their big game was an, uh, a title called Ankh, and uh, their later two series, which I, I don't know if they're big or not, I just know I see them on GameStop shelves a lot, are games called Lords of the Fallen and The Surge. 
Uh, don't know anything about them. I know Lords of the Fallen has like a big Viking guy. That I was is the Surge Energy Drink branded? I think it oh, is. Okay. I think it's it's all green. And, <laughs> yeah, there's uh, big lightning bolts that run right through the cover. I mean, if you drink it, you turn super rad. Yeah, yeah. I were you into Surge? Did you no. drink a lot of Surge? I drank a, so much Surge when Surge is a thing. I am very disturbed by people who drink energy drinks as like. I mean, there's, I've noticed less of them. Yeah. But like, there was definitely a time where I would just hang out with people who would just like pop open an energy drink as like their beverage of choice, and yeah. I would just get creeped out. But see, like, I, you know, the Surge was more of a soda. Like, I could handle that. It tasted okay. like Mountain Dew. Like energy drinks, I'm the same way. They taste like battery acid, and they make my heart feel bad. Yeah. So I can't do those. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's a that's a. Are surge energy drinks worth anything these days? Yeah, they, they're, they're a hot they're, hot black market for them. I, I mean, I bet if you have some original ones, you can use them to fuel nuclear missiles. <laughs> like that's my guess. I think that's their use now. Because they don't manufacture surge no more. Like not for like fifteen years. Oh at wow. Least. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, this shows what I know. It was uh, it was very popular when I was in middle school. Okay. That's when it, about when it stopped. I mean, I'm not young. Parent- <laughs> Apparently, you can buy five cans of Surge soda for $140 on eBay. Wow, so that they are worth something. It's not uh, <laughs> something I'm going to pay. Because that just makes me think of the, uh, the, again, way tangent, and I'm sorry, but there was a video I saw of somebody drinking an old can of Crystal Pepsi from the early 90s and immediately projectile vomited all over <laughs> everything. Like, the now, most is that violent crystal, throw up I've ever crystal seen. Crystal Pepsi is gross, or is it because it was twenty-year-old can? I think it's because it's like thirty-year-old yeah. chemicals like, okay. that have been sitting in a can for he years. He was drinking yeah. up all of that eBay value. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously, he could have resold that for apparently a lot of money. I'm wasting my life. I should have been collecting soda. <laughs> sure. Anyway, yeah, that would not have been a waste of your life. No, not in yeah. the least. Not in the least. New Patreon uh, tier. Request a soda for Steve to drink. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, so a little bit about the development here. We have another successful crowdfunding story here. Hooray! Uh, Radical Fish began working on this game back in 2012, and they launched a successful Indiegogo campaign uh, that got them 90,000 euros to complete the game in 2015, which is enough, apparently. Yeah. Um, Originally, the game was going to appear on the Wii U, uh, but that system was uh, approaching its end date, and developers chose... (laughs) Tune in to our main show to hear more about that. About that About that system. Yeah. Yeah, it was supposed to be on the Wii U, but uh, I think they wisely decided to redevelop it for Steam, which is uh, a really smart move, because I think that's where most people discovered it, uh, the people that have discovered it. And it's just much, much easier to develop for the PC first and then spread out to a console, as opposed to starting on a console and going from there. Yeah, yeah. So the game uh, spent three years in early access beta before finally getting an official release in 2018. Uh, It's since been ported to nearly every system, and it was highlighted as a launch game on Amazon's Luna, which is a cloud-based gaming system. (laughs) Which we all have and love and play (laughs) daily. It's so weird to me. Like, Google has Stadia, Amazon has Luna. I don't know anybody who has used these platforms at all from, like, two of the biggest companies in the world. I don't know. Uh, I couldn't find any specific sales numbers for CrossCode, but uh, someone was asking the developers about its performance on a Steam forum and all the developer would say was they made enough to keep making games. So that's that's all you want, I guess. You know, yeah, this game a, is not it's a, not a blockbuster. Way. It's not no. a it's not a dead cells. It's not a uh, into the breach. Yeah, it's not but. one that like necessarily crossed over. But uh, it's been like everything I've read about online is positive. Like mm-hmm. everybody likes this game. And uh, there, there's a surprisingly like in depth 
like wiki and fan community, like pretty much any quest that I like couldn't find the goat man who was running around on the rooftops. <laughs> oh. I was able to just search for crosscode goat man and there was a video of uh, someone chasing after him. So sure. Which which was handy. Yeah. So like because there are some levels of indie games where like you're just kinda on your own. Yeah. <laughs> because like not as many people have played them. But uh, here there was there's plenty a, there's of a, info there. There's a decent audience for yeah. it. All right, Scott, I might need a little bit of your help explaining the story because it's it's really interesting, but it does get a little <laughs> convoluted. So, yes. like, the game takes place within a game that's actually the real world, but you play with robots, right? Am I explaining that right? Whoa. Yes. So there is there. Oh, man, where do I even start? Uh, <laughs> it's It's an Inception kind of game. Oh, yeah. It is like if Inception was an MMO and people had blue hair running around. And <laughs> sure. It, it was yeah, somewhere. Just... Christopher Nolan just had a boner. <laughs> uh, so there's there's this world. There's this MMO world called I think it's uh, Crossworlds. Crossworlds. Um, yes. Or no, yeah. Crossworlds is like the MMO. Um, it's like Blizzard, I guess, would be the equivalent. OK. And they have uh, this this continent inside uh, you know, the, the play world that uh, I forget the name of, but there's this kind of running joke in the game that like the story of like the MMO itself doesn't matter, which is, I feel like kind of reflective on, on all MMOs yeah. where it, you know, like the actual thing that you're doing, uh, like I've been playing a lot of destiny two over the past couple of years and I'm just like, yeah, none of this actually matters. I'm just running around shooting stuff, collecting purple cubes. Well, and- any game that is like an MMO or a loot shooter or anything like that, that is basically the gameplay loop is just go and do the same quests over and over. The story can't really matter no. because That's if true. there's some big overarching story, the fact that you're just running the same cave over and over doesn't make any sense. No. You're like, yeah. you should be out saving the world, but here you are just killing the same respawning boss. Yeah. And so that is just kind of like an accepted trope of the genre. Sorry, they're called hedgehags? <laughs> hedgehags. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, so the, the general story is that... Um, uh, so you have come into this MMO world, presumably as a player, and your task with... Um, finding all of the the major sources of uh, energy power from these dungeons, like yeah. the, the power of spirit and the power of fire and heart, and you know, like those kind of things. So you're you're effectively tasked with uh, dungeon diving for the the boss keys to use later for and, for a, a different purpose. And you're you're playing so basically within this like. This is a real world MMO. This is like real land that's been set aside, like out in the ocean somewhere for people to play these games. But like you can't physically go to this island yourself. You need to project your consciousness into a robotic avatar. And that's kind of your player character. But our main character here, she wakes up and no one remembers who the player character is. Like the player character can't remember themselves. So it's essentially just like a blank robot. There's so I have to walk a tight line here because yeah. oh because there's uh, spoilers. there's um, so you know whenever like people are discussing films and they say oh man there's this really great uh, twist in the movie but like giving away <laughs> like saying there's a twist gives away that there's a twist yeah um, now you're waiting for a twist yeah got it yeah so ignore what I just said <laughs> uh, so you know how that's the case well it doesn't apply here <laughs> that's but, the twist is yeah. that it doesn't apply here yeah. right. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a, a place where, um, matter and, uh, 
human, yeah, like kind of like uh, digital projected entities uh, that can like run around, presumably, I'm guessing like this, you know, real island, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and you can like jump off things and, you know, your matter reanimates and stuff like that. That comes into play in a big part uh, around a major plot event, I would say two thirds of the way through the game. Okay. Uh, where, you know, it, it sort of begs the question of like, what would happen if real people walked into here and what would happen to them if things started going crazy? So there's, there's a lot of um, interesting elements with that, but yeah, presumably, you know, this is an area where, um, you know, like you log into the destiny or wow servers and instead of, you know, you controlling the character from your computer, you know, you put on a headset at home, like your VR headset and you're running around in this physical environment that has some kind of projected matter in it. Okay, and all right. We're talking about the story a lot here, but, like, that's because Steve and I have only, you know, we're, even though, like I said, I played this game for eight hours, I'm still pretty at the beginning of the game. Where and a lot like, of the story The story feels built. very front-loaded in that first hour in terms of people talking at you, and then once that sort of was finished, they really just set you off on your own, and there's really a lot of just sort of completing somewhat tedious quests um, until you actually get the ability to make it to that first dungeon and start um, getting new powers. And I'm sure that, you know, more story comes in later, but this is not like a... Yeah, again, like, this is just such a weird game because visually, when you look at this, you think, oh, this is going to be like Secret of Mana or Final... Like, this game kind of plays like Secret of Mana. Yeah. Um, Or Final Fantasy IV... Because that's what you associate with this visual style. This game also, to me, uh, based on the aesthetic and like the fact you're in a virtual world, reminds me a lot of the Mega Man Battle Network games. Oh yeah, like the combat system is different, but like that's what the style definitely reminds me of. But it's like, it's not like you're being led from one place to another. It and like the story is constantly moving you along. You really are going at a pretty leisurely pace, um, and just there's a lot of. Um, gameplay elements here where like people will give you a quest like go to this area defeat these five got you know these five evil rabbits mm-hmm. and then return to me and i will give you items that you can then trade to upgrade into different items and it's it's just kind of slow going and you have to sort of settle into the pace like there is a quick travel mode which is handy but you can only quick travel to like landmarks and there's no one thing that really annoyed me about this game is there's no map on the screen. Hmm. Like, it was, I wanted, like, a little mini-map in the corner mm. just to uh, highlight which characters would give me quests because I kept having to pause it and pull up the, uh, either the quest menu or the map to actually see where I was supposed to go, which was just... That, that, that's a minor complaint, but I did find it frustrating when I was just trying to work my way through, like, ten quests. I could yeah, see I that. I think there's an interesting balance between... So, yeah, I think, like, I definitely agree with the minimap bit. Um, if you run around enough, you'll you'll kind of get the impression of, like, you know, when you run past a group of people, they'll have, uh, like, a little uh, exclamation box that appears yes. above their head. Like, hey, come talk to me. And, yep. you know, sometimes they'll have some interesting thing for you to do. There are... Um, uh, fun little like quest hub zones where people will post, you know, like, oh, I need help with this little quest, like as you would in an MMO or something, uh, and you know, you can you can take it up and 
go and find where that person is and, and you know help them out with, with their side quest. What I've found so far is it seems like a lot of side quests start out almost kind of like the pacing of the game in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, start out very um, kind of menial and like, Go and collect five uh, tree clippings, or go and kill you know uh, five uh, muskrats wearing uh, headphones. Sure, <laughs> those goddamn are... muskrats wearing headphones—they're the bane of the Oklahoma farmers. <laughs> <laughs> They're just but blasting the, uh, their DMX so they, loud. Do they None eat of the only, carrots? Grow? Do they only eat beets? Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. There's okay. a um, so there's one quest that kind of starts out uh, very very slow like that, and then you know you go and complete the quest and go back to the guy who gives it to you and turn it in. He gives you some some stuff and experience and cash and stuff, uh, and then you know a little while later as the game progresses, he'll he'll have an option to do like. Uh, a 2.0 version of that quest, which has a little bit more stuff to do, some more kind of like things to interact with, uh, platforming, puzzle solving, that kind of stuff. And then there's like a V3.0 version of it, typically, mm-hmm. where you come back to the guy even later and he'll have some other thing for you to do. And it'll always kind of like culminate in this sort of like interesting mini boss battle uh-huh. that you don't see anywhere else in the game. That's cool. Usually involving some kind of weird, unique enemy. And. Like every time that I like for this podcast, I was experimenting like, oh, I have all like these really low level side quests. I'm sure like they're all just really boring stuff. And no, like a lot of them are just really unique, well-crafted things of like, Mm. you know, having you go and like explore the environment in an area that you've never been in or uh, (laughs) minor spoiler. Well, not main story (laughs) spoilers, but uh fighting uh, a Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Oh, fun. At one nice. Point. Uh, there's another part where uh, there is a literal uh, DJ penguin who is summoning, <laughs> I think they, I can't remember if they were other DJ penguins, but like a zillion other <laughs> enemies that you're all fighting at the same time. And it's just complete madness. So none of these side quests are, are the same. They're all have like these kind of crazy, weird, unique elements, but it does take like a couple steps to kind of see where it's going much yeah. like the game itself. And I think, yeah. you know, you guys have um, have only just kind of scratched the surface with the first dungeon, where I remember playing through it the first time being like, man, people really love this game, but it's kind of a slow grind to really start. Like, when does it really sort of get interesting? And the analogy just came to me where it's like, it's like watching a uh, an Apollo rocket launch, where, oh. you know... You know something big is coming. You know, you know something big and exciting, like the rocket's going to launch. Like, oh, that's going to be really cool. But, you know, you're stuck sitting there, like, watching the preparations for the rocket to launch for two hours. And you're just like, oh, God, not another boring <laughs> space launch. Yeah. When are they going to get you know, to the fireworks store? <laughs> and yeah. then the batteries fall out of the remote. And then you're just stuck sitting there watching it. But it is, <laughs> it is such a satisfying payoff once the rocket does launch and this is like me begging begging people listening to be like please please just invest 10 hours into the game and i'll back you up here scott like i definitely i was playing this game right before coming here and like i said making my way through the first dungeon and every every hour that i've played this game i've liked it more um and as my character has sort of leveled up i've gotten a better handle on the mechanics i can start to see how things are going to be a lot more engaging because they do throw a decent amount of mechanics at you at the start. And now I'm just like, oh, I get these mechanics. I get how these systems work together. And now I'm just excited to play the game. And even if it's just leisurely going on side quests, 
I, I'm comfortable playing it at my own pace. Um, I, I think yeah. this game does a really good job. I mean, I'm not the most experienced MMO person, but I like that this captures that feeling of being in an MMO. Like, there are a lot of, like, NPC characters just, like, running around, like, jumping. Like, they're clearly meant to be other players. You can't interact with them or do anything with them. But they're clear that they're going on their own quest. Yeah, everybody's like kind of doing their own thing. It's not just a bunch of static people like you would see on the path in Pokemon or something like that. It's just a bunch <laughs> just of people. Just waiting like, for you to tell you about how they love their shorts. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah they're, they're off living their own lives and doing their own thing. And I agree that, like... You know the the overall plot of an MMO is negligible, but I think the the central mystery of uh, figuring out who Leah, the the main character, is is pretty compelling. And uh, you know, I like the cast of characters that they have here, and I just think this art style is beautiful, and it works really well for this style of game. So let's kind of break down what these mechanics are. Yeah. We've got some uh, kind of weird ones. So. Uh, yeah, this is an action RPG, uh, kind of top-down, 16-bit, like, emulating. It, it, um, and clearly the first level is a knockoff of Secret of Mana. Yes. like, you're, you're fighting, like, jumping rabbits. There's <laughs> a decent amount of Secret of Mana in here and, like, a little bit of ease in other games like that. Um, the, the, one of the interesting mechanics here is, uh, what's it called? Your little, they just call you're them a, balls. Your, your character is a spheromancer, is, is your class. And yeah. so aside from this little blade that you have, which is just your melee attack... Which runs basically how you'd want. You just sort of tap X a bunch to do a quick combo. Um, you can move the right stick, and these little uh, dotted lines will come out different directions that you're aiming. And then um, it sort of takes a second, and they'll start in a very wide swath, but as long as you don't get hit, they'll um, get a more straight line. And then you just hold the trigger, and you release a barrage of balls at your foes. It's, a, it's called a virtual ricochet projectile, or a VRP, but they just call them balls in the game, yeah. which I don't know, might be a, might be a, a loss in translation kind of thing, but I like it. Not balls with a Z, it's not the energy drink. Oh, or the, the amazing fighting game that everybody remembers and loves, But like, great. just that in of itself, and you can also hold the A button to have a shield, and there is a dash. Yeah. And like, just those sort of four moves, there's, there's, there, you get more moves later, but like, just that, I think, is enough to make a pretty satisfying combat system. Oh, it is. Yeah, because absolutely. Enemies will charge it. There's some enemies where you need to hit them from behind, so you have to dash behind them and shoot them. Some you have. There's another mechanic called breaking, where when an enemy will turn uh, red, if you hit them, they will break and get stunned and take extra damage. Yeah. And so your balls can be pretty helpful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it is really just a, a satisfying combat system without feeling overly complicated. And the really cool thing about that VRP is that uh, they figure, I mean, they figure into combat, but they also figure into your puzzle mechanic. And that's kind of, this game has a lot of like isolated puzzle dungeons where you have party members with you when you're on the overworld, but they'll ditch you and leave you alone while you're doing these puzzle dungeons. And this is where you need to use like the, this is where the, the, the billiards or the buster move mechanic mm-hmm. kind of comes into place. You need to bank your charged shots off of certain angles and hit a certain number of targets or or shoot through a wall and break something. Like they find a lot of very clever ways to implement the puzzles with this uh, shooting mechanic. Yeah, I was very impressed by the variety of puzzles um, in this first level, and like they they're the good kind of puzzles where you get. You're like, uh, what is going on here? They're initially frustrating, and then when you figure it out, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they're, was- they're the exact right level of trickiness, where it's like you, you do need to work at it and think about it, but it's not going to like you know make you rip your hair out. <laughs> Two things really uh, helped me a lot with having the dungeons be a lot more palatable as the game went on. 
Um, one was to realize, or uh, so one thing that I really like about this game is uh, setting it to as easy as physically possible mode. Which as a oh uh, we didn't do I didn't do that the game yeah, tells no. you not to do it at the start. <laughs> well, there's, yeah. there's a weird really, mechanic yeah. where it's not even like choosing difficulty levels; it's choosing what percentage of damage you'll take from enemies. Like so, you can reduce it. Like so, you're taking less damage from enemies when you get huh. hit. I wonder it might be different. Like Steve and I both played this on Switch, so mm-hmm. maybe in the re-release mm-hmm. they added some sort of easier mode but like at the start of this game when you boot it up they're like this game is designed with intention with difficulty and puzzles try try to play at the default difficulty but you can change it later if you want but yeah. you're saying that you like playing it in an easier scott, scott. Um, oh, excuse yeah me. i mean <laughs> I, there's i think there's some sliders with yeah like how much damage you take and the speed of the puzzles so with like how fast platforms move and things like that and mm. being you know the uh the lazy adult that I am just, you know, set to easy mode so I can blast through everything. It still presents a, a, a good challenge. Yeah. And um, I think there's... So so setting the, the puzzle speed slower just so you can kind of, like, come to grips with what things are happening. Mm. Uh, but another thing that I didn't realize until way too late was that a lot of the dungeons give you hints. Oh, I didn't know that. They're right in front of your face, but you would never know it because they're designed into the floor of the dungeon. Oh, so, okay. I, and I, I can't remember if this is the case for the very first one. It has to be because uh, I think it's the case with all the rest of them where, you know, they'll have, um, like Woody was saying, you know, you have to bank your shots off, you know, this thing over here to have it bounce around a corner and hit this thing around the other side. Uh, on the the ground in the dungeon, usually there's either like a little line or kind of like artistic elements in the floor Mm. to kind of guide your eye to have it, you know, go in that direction, which is something that I've been noticing a lot more in the DLC with, they, they really crank the, uh, the, the Mensa puzzles up to 11 (laughs) in that one. Uh, they're not as long. They're still very satisfying to solve once you kind of get, have that aha moment. And, uh, yeah, like they have, they have the you know little hints laid out on the floor. I'm like, oh man, I really wish I knew that when I started instead that is a of good having to Google search you know people speedruns through it. So yeah, your two your main interaction with the puzzles is going to be um, that those balls that you shoot. But this is also in a lot of ways where jumping comes in. Like this game gets a lot of mileage out of jumping, even though there's no it's a top down game and there's no jump button. Like, no, you just automatically will climb up on a I box guess, if it's low enough. Yeah, I guess like Ocarina of Time style. Yeah, yeah. And though the the parkour kind of elements of this are pretty fun because you can you can kind of explore a little bit and there are unconventional paths that you can find. Like, you know, you you can climb if you're in a city, you can climb up on a box and then jump on a railing and then you're just running along a system of railings until you find hidden treasures or things like that. Yeah, this seems to be the main way that they like put secrets in the game is they'll you'll see like a floating treasure box up in the corner and you're like, how do they get to that? And you have to find like a little step that you can jump on on a different screen. Right. Jump up and then run down to the bottom screen where that treasure chest was. And honestly, like, I'm not crazy about this mechanic because it felt like it leaned it leaned into a lot of me just kind of running around looking for a thing. Like, just kind of, like, I didn't feel like I was solving any puzzle so much as just trying to, like, pick out, like, a Where's Waldo of a tiny ledge. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could see that. I, I enjoyed the fluidity of it. Like, I like yeah, how quick it is. Yeah, controls controls well yeah you really don't need to go around guessing if you can jump on stuff if you can jump on it you'll jump on it you know and then uh, so you don't need to like there's no real trial and error to it 
And uh, I did like kind of trying to find the little circuitous paths and finding out, oh, can I jump from this pillar to this pillar? You know, will I be able to make it? Is there something else I need to do? So I, I thought it was some good, uh, it was a good way to incorporate some puzzly elements into the action levels. Yeah, I, I feel like the aesthetic of this game, like it starts out, it really does have that sort of MMO pacing and, um, you know, quest just kind of, there's always something to do and the satisfaction of leveling your character up and buying better items. But once you get into these dungeons, it becomes like a, a Zelda clone. Um, yeah. Because the actual RPG mechanics are a lot less in the dungeons themselves. And, like, these puzzles, this first dungeon is crazy long. Like, I yeah. found this robot that I beat, and I assumed he was the last boss of the dungeon because <laughs> I got, like, this f- f- power to shoot fire. And it's like, no, he's really only the halfway point, and now you have to use your fire power to navigate through the rest of the dungeon. And, like, I, all these puzzles have been good so far, but at some point, I just get very sick of sliding I- blocks around on ice, and mm. my brain is just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm like, it is just kind of ready to be done with that. And so, but I honestly, I have the same issue with Zelda, which is like the king of this genre of at some point, I just get sick of being in the dungeon and sick of doing these puzzles. Yeah. Um, And that's really more of a personal hang up. But I did find that um, this first dungeon set a precedent of like, I hope they're not all this long. Well, yeah, I, that actually definitely, they definitely lighten up as they as they go on, and there's I think some uh, some tongue in cheek commentary from some of the uh, like NPC characters around, like oh, not another dungeon with these crazy mechanics. Like the like the players are commenting on the frustrations that you're yeah, expressing. Yeah, right, that's right. never that's never the right approach though. Just make it easier <laughs> on yourself instead of writing making the content and then commenting on it. Just don't make the content and don't comment on it. And there you, you save go. Yourself Two days of work. Because <laughs> it takes one day to write dialogue and one day to make design exactly. rooms of a dungeon. That's games, how it works. Games, on average, take four days. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So most so games, four yeah, it's a four-day process. Yep. Uh, Scott, I it's wanted to also, ask you, um, like, oh. uh, do you, have you beaten this game? And if so, how long did it take you? I'm curious how much game is actually here. Oh, um, there is a lot of game here. And I don't mean that in the, in the sense of, like, there's a lot of grind. I would mm-hmm. say that there's a lot of meat on the bone here. So, okay. Um, if, if, uh, comparing it to, it's weird to compare like a single player, uh, RPG that's set in an MMO to an actual MMO, but like, I, it feels almost apt to compare because there's a lot of similarities with like, you know, instanced dungeon diving and getting the MacGuffin at the end of it to, you know, increase your powers. Uh, Destiny 2 feels very shallow in comparison <laughs> to this game, which is hilarious to say because the budgets are so like incomparable. Yeah. Like, you know, totally different games, but like, you know, I, I had played a bunch of destiny two and I was like, okay, like, you know, and then I accidentally recycled my favorite gun. And I'm like, I think I'm going to play something else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, as the typical destiny two experience is. And so I started playing this. I'm like, huh? Like, wouldn't it be great if destiny two was like this instead from like gameplay design elements where, you know, you could just, like, bop around in, like, a side quest and then jump back into the dungeon to progress on that a little bit and then bop around in side quests and then unlocking a new power and then having that kind of synergy of, like, the new powers and stuff. So, long story short, yes, there um <laughs> a lot of game here. I think it probably took me 55 hours to beat yeah, damn, the main that story. Right. I uh, mean, it, it, yeah, it looks so kind of unassuming, and they, and because I downloaded it, and because it's a little indie game, I think I was with Woody mm-hmm. like that. I was I was assuming this was yeah, like a, like 20, a ten to twenty hour experience. And it's twenty bucks, yeah. which is not 
not expensive. Like no. that's you sort of assume that's what usually what you're spending on an indie game that has, yeah, uh, yeah like you said, a ten to twenty hour story. But sure. it's like no, this is this huge fully featured game that just looks. It, I mean, it looks smaller than other games, but and it's not. I think that is helping me adjust my expectations a little bit because uh, kind of like what he did. Like I, I had some real problems with the pacing of this game. It felt like the the early sections are literally they're they're they're, they're the grindiest of grinds. You are going to have mm. to like whack a lot of rabbits and like kill a bunch of hedgehogs. And there uh, is just... there is a mechanic just to interrupt you very quickly where um, if you kill a bunch of enemies in succession, mm-hmm. you get like this ranking that goes up. Um, and like so if you take a while between killing enemies, it will go down. But if you like chain groups of enemies together, um, and you get like an A rank. It gives you like a big experience or gold bonus. Oh, nice. Okay, I didn't really understand how that mechanic works, so that's good to know. There's but a great little um, interaction with party members that if you invite them to your party and you start um, attacking as a party, and there's also like fun little um, different kind of uh, command presets that you can have your party members do, like defend me or like mm. attack the person that I'm attacking or go do your own thing. Which mm-hmm. I think is like that's another one of those like little sprinkles on the donut of like that's just like a, a nice little element that I wish was in other things more. Yeah, uh, and yeah, so like you know, like what he's saying, you know, you have this uh, this increasing meter that goes on that uh, it's like a Devil May Cry like style rank almost. Yeah, that increases the more kind of like fighting that you're doing, and uh, like if you keep like fighting and fighting and fighting, and you're just like going on for like super long, your party members will like start to comment like, "Hey, you doing okay there?" <laughs> Do you need to take a chill pill for a second? Uh, and then, like your your character is just like, I just I need to kill. <laughs> Sorry, we I interrupted you, Scott. No, no, or Steve. What's your name? Yeah, I'm. I, I th- we just I'm, met, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Dave. Okay. I'm Dave. Nice to meet you. Um, yeah. So I think that was my big problem. It felt like every every one of these screens that you go on, just as you're walking, like the opening mission is go from this central hub to a city off to the west, like kind of a basic, like, you know, hike along, hack some stuff up. It takes a really long time to get to that city. This is a long road, and it's like not just a road. It's a huge open world map with lots of different secrets to discover, lots of different groups of enemies, lots of different missions to give out. It's it's kind of like Fallout in the sense that, like, uh, you will get very distracted by side quests. Mm-hmm. You will get very distracted just kind of dicking around and exploring things that are in the corners. But it's like you have to realize that that's okay because if, yes. that, that's a thing. If you think, oh, I'm just going to cruise through this and get this sort of quirky story... And then you're like, ah, oh, this is taking so long. But if you're like, I'm just going to go leisurely yeah. and enjoy these side quests and enjoy the like way these systems in the game interact, you're going to have a good time. And really, like that's how we should be playing RPGs. And yeah. that's why I think that's why RPGs have become less interesting to me because I have become more impatient yeah. and more sort of wanting to move on to the next thing and just trying to play an RPG to like get the story out of the way. Um, whereas when I was younger and was really into like, you know, the Super Nintendo Final Fantasy games, it was because I'm like, I'm going to explore every corner of this game yeah, yeah, and I'm going to go and try to meet all the characters and find all these sweet items. And that's just a much more satisfying way to play an RPG. It's just hard to sort of get into. Yeah. But I, I I think approaching it that way will really help your experience. Like in just sort of. You know, as long as you're expecting a lengthy experience that's going to, like, need a little bit of investment, I think that's going to help a lot. Um, and I, I agree. Like, I, I'm far less patient. I have much less of an attention span than I used to. <laughs> so it's it's harder for me to kind of, like, sit and play a long game. But 
it's it's really fast paced. Like the action itself is very fast paced. The puzzles are great. Like the puzzle dungeons, I had such a good time with just like puzzle uh, piecing those together. And uh, it, it's there's a leveling up system that's called your circuit where you have to spend combat points to like individually. Uh, it looks like ex- the meter from Final Fantasy X. I think yeah, yeah, it's like same. a like a skill tree basically, and you need to like just expand on that. And it takes a while, you know, because you earn a certain amount of. Uh, CP or combat points for every battle, but it always seems to be just like, or for every time you level up, but it always seems to be taking just a little too long for you to get to that level. I think after like eight hours, I was on level 15. I think that's mm-hmm. where I got to. Yeah, I think there's there's an argument to be made to maybe like level up a little quicker because I've put, I think I've put 65 hours into the game so far and I still haven't maxed out the the enormous spider web of a tech tree Oof. entirely oh, yet. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's there's a lot of really hidden great stuff about that tech tree where, um, you know, the, I think the, the poster child for this is Path of Exile, where it has just this enormous skill tree that is just way too big that you're like, I don't have any idea how to look at this. I'm <laughs> yeah. never going to understand anything here. But uh, in this game, you know, you have like your kind of like core skill tree, which is just like your main sort of um, non-fire ice ability type things. Uh, And then you have ones that are dedicated specifically for the fire, for the ice and other things that you unlock. But there's also like sub branches of those, which is (laughs) another sprinkle on the donut of like a really smart design idea where instead of like, you know, having to make that tough choice of like, oh, do I really want to, you know, invest my points in this one direction because then I wouldn't be able to do this other thing. You should it invest your you points to... in, in one direction. They're going to be... They're gonna Simon be Cowell could tell you as yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's a great feature that allows you to swap the branches. So you, oh. instead of having to just invest in one kind of thing, it gives you the option to like flip back and forth on that kind of direction that you're looking into. So you could be investing a lot of points into... Um, another thing that like I failed to realize too early was uh, you have these kind of like power up attacks and I had been spending all of my points into like the power up like slash attack oh sure and I think there's like a power up um, uh, uh, attack for your ranged attack as yep. well but there's also power up attacks for your uh, shield yeah so, the like, first one I got one. is like you you block and you hold the right trigger and then you'll like release a shock wave that knocks everyone back nice I only just discovered that like a month ago. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I only just deep... discovered it about two days ago. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will say this game has one of my biggest RPG pet peeves, and that's uh, a clunky store. Like, I don't know. I mm. if, if I'm going to a store in an RPG, I just want to like, bam, 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 potion, potion, potion. Okay, here, buy my shit. Let me move on with my day. This game has a very clumsy system, and it's one of those that requires you to take everything that you're buying or selling, put it in a cart, and then there's a whole different button configuration for buying the, for the check stuff. Out. To yeah, check it took out. me a, a long I, I time to figure that out. I'm going to have to fight you on that a little bit, though. Okay. Because I think there are there are some vendors that do that. And I actually don't know why this isn't totally standardized, but there's some vendors that are like, you know, the kind of... Um, yeah, like, how, what's the quantity of these things that you want Oh, right, buy? A lot yeah. of times that I just hit the, the X button repeatedly, just like, gimme, 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 gimme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there, there um, are, yeah, those weird, like, specialty vendors. They'll just have, like, a bubble over their head saying what they have and if you can afford it. Well, those it. guys you trade with. You like, trade the with stores them. Yeah. you can, you spend money at, but then there's other guys who, like, that you get your better, like, weapons and armor from people who trade, and they will, like, charge you money as well as like a bunch of just sort of collectibles and materials you get throughout the world for like cutting down grass or defeating enemies. And that's, um, you know, but they only have certain items. Yeah, yeah. And much like in the world of an MMO, it seems like 
there's no cosmetic difference. Well, it's almost kind of the reverse. We're like, there's no cosmetic difference in cross code for you to equip, um, you know, the the ski hat of right. mammoth frost <laughs> or something. Uh, <laughs> but it might give you like an extra dash, or it might give you, you know, some like some other kind of extra ability that might make it worth your while for doing so. Um, so like going and there's also a lot of side quests that are based around that kind of trading where I just I just did one where um, I was like, oh, I don't actually have this item. What do I need to go in order to do that? And I had to go and do like a completely other separate quest that itself was interesting to get this thing to go to this other side quest that was also interesting. Uh, that was like, oh, wow, now I'm, you know, drug running for a pizza company sure. <laughs> Why uh, not? later in the game and uh the you know the weird stuff associated with that and then like all of, like these different kind of um side quests kind of merged together to get this one item that i then trade to this other guy to get this thing that i was after the whole time so there's yeah. a lot of this interesting interconnectedness just with the item trading that you know does um can require you to like do that kind of puzzle platforming exploration in areas that you've been in and be like, oh, I didn't even know this whole area existed because I jumped behind this one bush here. And yeah. what you're talking about, I think, so much is the kind of thing that depends on the mindset. And I, I think, Steve, and I keep coming back to this. It's like, because what you could describe, you're like, that sounds tremendous. Like, you, you're obviously very excited about it, and that's cool. But you could also be like, oh, that sounds tremendously irritating to yeah, have yeah. to, like, to, but, like, we have fond memories of, like, in Ocarina of Time where you run and like get Bigorin's sword and it's this giant like intricate process of yeah. trading and you're like oh that's really cool and like a fun memory but then also like you could also just be like that just sounds like pointless bullshit right <laughs> yeah, no, but, but, but yeah, yeah. like the, the, the thing that I come back to is I think this game is fun enough to play that I am happy to do that stuff yes um, because if you're invested in the systems and want to level up your character and want to keep playing like You'll do whatever random junk the game wants you to, and it'll be interesting. Yeah, no, I, I'm knocking the pacing and everything, but it, it this is a game I really liked. Like I, I'm really having a good time with it, and I want to kind of stick with it. Um, and it does help to kind of know a little bit of what I'm in for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any uh, more more notes? Anything you want to oh, on your on your see. forty uh, pages of on, notes um, here, Scott? So on page twenty five, shuffling paper, shuffling uh, paper. Yeah. Yeah. Good fully uh, work. I, so no, so I'll try to keep spoilers to minimum. But there's a lot of really great story beats that that happen along that um, major turn in the game, where uh, things. So I think let's see, we've already we've already kind of covered linguistic challenge. I think, to some degree, <laughs> where where your main character can only really you know communicate with three or four words. Oh yeah, and, you know, like the the interesting. Um, Bits that, you know, come up from that with how you talk to the rest of your party members and other characters throughout the game, I think is, like, it's a it's a core part of the story, and I think it's handled very maturely and just very well. I think, like, a lot of the writing in this game, particularly after the main thing that happens that I won't spoil, mm -hmm. because when it does happen, you're just like, it's that oh shit moment of, like, that you rarely get in video games because mm. you can kind of see it coming from a mile away. Yeah. This just like drops it right on top of you. And you're like, Oh my God. But <laughs> like other, other, um, interesting story beats with minor, with, uh, no spoilers are, you know, how the game handles things like, um, internet friends, you know, like mm -hmm. people who you meet over the internet who become your friend, um, uh, AI independence, uh, we kind of talked a little bit about meta commentary on MMOs. Uh, there's, I think, one of the one of the first kind of major characters that you meet accuses you of smurfing. 
<laughs> sure. Which is kind of a, a, a through line throughout uh, your interactions with that person. Uh, you know, what is identity in the digital world? Uh, all these kind of like meta philosophical questions, uh, things like power levels over 9,000, you know, <laughs> uh, where you keep seeing the damage numbers go up, but like to what degree are you satisfied with that? Right. All these like, all of, like a lot of these bits about RPGs, MMOs, what does it mean for uh, characters like in this realized world to exist are handled so well that if you can like if you find the game fun enough to to go through the first dungeon you'll get to the second dungeon and be like oh wow this is you know like a new fresh take on it and then the third dungeon you'll be like okay like yeah i'm ready to go in and by then the rocket has has taken off yeah okay all right all right that i mean that that all sounds uh, promising Maybe one more thing to talk about here that uh, maybe isn't talked about enough with games is how it's programmed, I think, is probably a big one. Where a lot hmm. of games, a lot of indie games these days are uh, built in Unity, I think. Uh, somehow, and it's like right up in your face, at least when you start on the Steam version, uh, that this game is programmed in HTML5, which is like mind-blowing. That like <laughs> a lot of a lot of games that are programmed are done so in such like, you know, a... A very standardized kind of way that like, hey, these are like the programming utilities that are you know typically done for video games. And this mm. one is like using a programming utility that's like not even remotely close to design for these kinds of games. I see. And so yeah. like the result is that a lot of games end up kind of looking and or feeling kind of similar just because um, they're built from the same tools. Is that what you're saying? I think there's there's an element where you can kind of spot a game that's built in Unity where it has this kind of flow or feature set or um, uh, or it, it, it's it's a very standard um, tool set to be building games with. And, you know, you can build a lot of different varieties of games with it and, and, and all that good stuff. But uh, it's it's like if someone <laughs> had built a, a modern game out of um, like a TI-83 calculator program. Okay. Okay. And it's like, obviously, you know, JavaScript and HTML5 is not quite the same. Yeah. But it kind of is in some degree, like compared to C Sharp or like Python or, you know, your standard uh, like super programming languages. Uh, we're we're nodding not... here, but we actually have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, <laughs> yes, this is all I, I too know computers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think from, and also just like, uh, watching through the credits again because uh, in order to so the the DLC takes off from the end of the game mm, okay um, which I kind of have a little bit of a beef with but at the same time I kind of respect from like a storytelling perspective where it's so no spoilers but like it's it's one of those things where it's like a blink and you miss it kind of thing and I kind of wish the the quote-unquote real ending of the game was the default one because you kind of you need to do that anyway for the dlc which no, I seems see. kind of like a weird gatekeeping maneuver but um the the um non like i guess the quote-unquote not real ending i can totally see from one perspective and this will all make sense when you've beaten the game <laughs> okay but uh it it's it it leaves that kind of like realistic bad taste in your mouth where you're just like oh but at the same time you're like oh yeah that is what humanity would do isn't it <laughs> um, so yeah damn think, you like, humanity there's so my final thoughts on this game are 
there's still a ton of content to be playing years later with even without the dlc where there's just so many little nooks and crannies and personality around every corner and i have i have kind of a hot take here where um and we kind of talked about this with mindset earlier with these big sprawling games Mm -hmm. you have games like uh chrono trigger okay games like final fantasy Mm six And I would put CrossCode right along with them. Wow. Wow. Okay. Is, Those, them's think, them's it, big words. I think it is that good of an experience to warrant that apt of a comparison on the provision that you beat the game. So okay. don't at me. So put, put, you know, put your phones down. Don't tweet at me <laughs> until you've beaten the game. And then you come to the conclusion like, okay, yeah, Scott was right. Was <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So um, only at Scott if your tweet is Scott. Hashtag Scott was right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Scott, thank you so much for uh, for coming on and for being a high level patron and for introducing us to this game. Yeah, I had a lot of fun cool digging into it and uh, and discussing it today. So, thank you so much. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Anything you'd like people to know about? Uh, there's a leak in my bathtub. I'd love to plug. <laughs> oh, cool, um, cool. Actually, that <laughs> may be that actually, may be the it. most used joke in podcasting. Is it? I've never I, heard I, of it. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, Scott invented it. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, I got some hair follicles that need plugging. Okay. Sure. Um, I've got some other X-rated jokes that need plugging. Uh, <laughs> got some old-timey uh, yeah, gangsters uh, that need plugging. Sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is my blog uh <laughs> as i go here that shows how often i keep it up to date but uh so i i Ain't do a cool video game news. data science blog <laughs> at svburger.com in case uh you're still paying attention to this uh podcast you know you haven't zoned out for me talking about uh, programming <laughs> languages already and you want to learn how to uh well you can't do this anymore but uh earlier this year the um the uh, Bungie's original servers were shutting down, and I wrote a bunch of uh, Python scripts to uh, to scrape the data to save all of um, your old Halo 2 and Halo 3, I think Halo Reach data as well. Uh, I've been meaning to make a follow-up post to that to go through all of my games and be like, uh, like a statistical deep dive of all of my Halo 2 and Halo 3 games of yore. Uh, so that, that's on the to-do list, but um, <laughs> there you can find a link to uh, a book I've written and YouTube videos I've done and video game rankings. Spoiler alert, CrossCode is on there. Hey. And uh, yeah, uh, oh, I've got a fun blog post in here from, was it 2019? Is it time to buy an AC unit in Seattle yet? Oh, yeah. Uh, pro- pro- oh, that is. Boy. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert, yes, it is. Yes. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, you can find that stuff uh, on svburger.com. Amazing, cool, man. amazing. Well, thank you so much. And if uh, you're listening at home and would like to join us on an episode, head over to patreon.com slash ultra64pod. Check out the Wonder Red tier. If you stay at that for three months, then you get to join us on the show for a game of your choice. We've had a couple of those slots snatched up recently. We're going to have a couple of awesome guests coming on the show, uh, but there are still a few slots available if anybody wants one. So please jump on there. If that sounds interesting to you at all, and the Patreon's going to have just a ton of new content on there pretty soon anyway. We're, we're, we're uh, working overtime. Work mm-hmm. out. All right. Uh, well, thank you, everybody. We will see you next time. Woo! How? Wait. What? Sorry. No. Thanks. Oh, your Where? voice your Ooh. voice module broke again. Damn it. Oh, we got to get that fixed. <laughs>